Travis to Emmanuel Church, and we are wrapping up this series called Swiss Army Life. And the reason it's called that is because we took a look at a Swiss Army knife. Now, those of you that have ever seen one, whether you've ever needed it or not, you can't deny the fact that a Swiss Army knife is incredibly useful. You can have, of course, a knife, there's a can opener, there's uh, scissors, there's tweezers, there's all sorts of hooks and gadgets and things it can do. And if you have ever needed it before or something like it, man, there's just several ways that it's useful in your life. So what we said is this, what if you and I just made an effort over the past few weeks and then wrapping up today to become useful? What if we just said, you know what, in my neighborhood, in my home, in my place of employment with my family members, I'm going to do what a Swiss Army knife does with my life. And I'm just going to raise my value and be useful. So week one, Danny did a great job of just saying, listen, what if you and I decided to pray, to become people of prayer, understanding that people have needs in our schools, in our government, in our neighborhoods, in our places of employment, in our family, and just stepped in and started becoming people of prayer, we would become useful. That would be living a Swiss Army life. And then week two, Danny just said, what if we decided to become creative? What if we showed up to work and brought solutions? What if in our home, in our marriage, in our parenting, we just created the environments, we created the atmospheres that we wanted? God created us to be creative. We would raise our own value. It would be living a Swiss Army life to become useful by being creative, not expecting someone else to solve or create everything, but by saying, you know what, I'll be creative. And then last week, Danny did a great job of saying, listen, everybody's going through something. Everybody has problems. Everybody is discouraged. You and I could be useful if we would become expert encouragers. If you missed that, you got to go back and check out the podcast. You and I could raise our value all around us if we would step into situations and speak words of encouragement, come alongside people and say, you can make it, you can do it. I'll walk through this with you. We could be useful by being encouragers. So today, Danny's not here. I am. My name's Steve. I've been here on staff for 10 years, and we're wrapping up today by saying you could live a Swiss Army life, be useful in the area of your skills. Let me illustrate it this way. This is the time of year where many of you, maybe not all of you, but many of you are getting out and you're doing some yard work. Maybe you own your own home or you rent and you're in charge of the yard. Maybe you're not in that situation right now, but you've been in that situation in the past growing up or whatever in your parents' home. You can at least relate to this example. You've looked out at the yard, you've seen the, the shrubs or the bushes or the, you know, the yard itself, the grass, and you've thought, this is the year. I'm going to get out there. You know what? I've watched some HGTV. I've seen better homes and gardens. I've been to Lowe's. I've been to Menards. I'm going to get the equipment. I think that we can make our yard look like this. And you've got this picture in your mind. We can make it look this sharp. So you recruit the help. You've got the people over there. You've promised them, you know, we'll grill out some burgers. We'll get some pizza. We'll do something. But you get the powered equipment. You get the mulch delivered. You get all the tools. And this is the weekend. Maybe last weekend, Memorial Day, whatever. You got everybody out there because you're going to get the work done. You've got this vision. You've got this picture. You've got this idea. And you go for it. Here's the problem for many of us. Isn't it true 
that even though we put the work in and even though we have the equipment and even though we try really, really hard and we have the blisters to show for it, isn't it true that after a few weeks go by, maybe there's no rain or, or whatever, that a lot of our yards don't end up looking like the first picture, but a lot of our yards end up looking something like this? It's just kind of, ugh. HGTV isn't coming by. Better Homes and Garden isn't scheduling a photo shoot. We're just not. Why? Because many of us don't have landscaping skills. And the people that have their homes appear on HGTV or the people that do get the photo shoot with Better Homes and Gardens, those people do have landscaping skills. Or some of you, you've owned your home for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, and over time, trial and error, you have gotten good at taking care of your yard or planting the flowers or doing all that work. Or maybe you grew up in a home like that and your parents have taught you landscaping skills or maybe... Some of you have yards that do look like, go back to picture number one, you do have homes that look like this because you have hired a professional landscaping company. And those people are professional landscapers because they do have skills. Think about the people that you know that are famous or, or you follow them on Twitter, you see them on TV or whatever, that are successful in their area of profession isn't it true that most of them have risen up to the top of their field because of some set of skills? Think of J.K. Rowling. First thought, you're going, okay, I'm not sure who is that person. But J.K. Rowling has become successful because many years ago, she wrote about a young boy going off to school and created this entire world around a boy named Harry Potter. And since that time, over 400 million books have been sold. Then the movie deals came through. And now there are theme parks, sections of theme parks devoted to Harry Potter. Did you know that she is worth close to a billion dollars? And you can trace it all back to a skill that she had of writing or typing about this world, and she understood that this is something that people would want to read about. She had a skill. The music you're about to hear is a stringed instrument being played called a cello. The person playing it, his name is Yo-Yo Ma. Some of you know this name. He has played for eight U.S. presidents. He has 18 Grammys that he has been awarded, which is one of the top amount ever, ever given out. As a four-year-old, he was taught to play the cello by his father, and he has gone on to be the top in his profession. Some of you have purchased his music, some of you have not, but you cannot deny the fact that he has incredible skill as an award-winning cellist. This family that you're seeing on the screen right now, the Kardashian family, they have this incredible skill. You know what, next slide, they really don't have any skill at all. This guy up here is Mark Burnett. He is a uh, producer in TV. And he um, has been in the business for a long time. And he really does have quite a skill of understanding the TV shows that you and I would love to watch. And he takes these shows, his most famous one is Survivor, and from the idea, the formation, sometimes the hiring, sometimes even the writing, 
and running the show from the beginning all the way through, getting it renewed year after year after year. Apprentice, Celebrity Apprentice, Shark Tank, The Voice, most recently with his wife, Roma Downey, The Bible, AD, these series that are on TV, he understands what it takes to find these shows, what it takes to continue to get them renewed. He is an executive producer of these shows, one of the most successful right now because he has a unique set of skills of understanding the audience and understanding what it takes to make and to keep these shows running. Sonny Vaccaro is a man that some of you don't know right at first, but sports fans, maybe you've seen the recent 30 for 30 on ESPN. Sonny had a unique set of skills of building relationships. Nike understood this because when they were still trying to get college basketball players to wear their shoes in the late 70s and early 80s, they reached out to Sonny because Sonny knew all the college basketball coaches because he ran a tournament called the Dapper Dan Round Ball uh, Basketball Tournament. And so they went to Sonny and they said, Sonny, we'll pay you, we'll hire you to get these coaches to get their kids to wear our shoes. So sure enough, through Sonny, they started using his relationship building skills and penetrated the college basketball market. Then once they had kind of, you know, established a corner on that market, they reached back out to Sonny because Sonny ran the ABCD high school basketball camp. So now Nike pretty much owned college basketball and was moving into high school basketball. And when a young basketball player was coming out of the University of North Carolina, Nike wanted to win Michael Jordan away from Adidas. So they sent in Sonny, who already knew Michael Jordan, already knew his parents. And Sonny was the one that sat down with Michael and said, Michael, not only will Nike sign you to a deal, but they will name the shoe line the Jordan shoe. It was unheard of at that time. And because of Sonny's skill of building relationships, Michael trusted Sonny and switched from Adidas to Nike, and the rest is history. The Jordan brand with Nike has been legendary, changed how shoes and the whole thing was marketed. It, it changed the face of all of that, and it came back to a skill that Sonny had of building relationships and trust with coaches and with players through Nike. You might look at some of those examples and say, I don't know. I mean, doesn't some of that come down to timing or who you know is, and what's going on with skills? And, and really, is this something we should be talking about in church and how does this relate? Well, let's go back to why we started this series in the first place. Let's go back to the purpose. We've talked about living a Swiss Army life and being useful. See, there's work to be done in this world. When you show up, on the job this afternoon or tomorrow, there are bosses, maybe you're a boss, but you probably have a boss, that need work done and they need it done well. There are customers that need solutions. There are coworkers that have situations that probably need work done or have problems or have questions that need answered. There are neighbors that have issues, there are family members that have situations. What if? The churchgoers, the Christ followers, the Christians. What if we were the ones that could confidently step in in educational situations, in healthcare situations, in business situations, in marketplace situations, in neighborhoods, in family, and step in with skill? because we were prepared, because we were ready, because we were useful. And all across our community, people are turning 
to the Christians and finding that we were able to help, that we were prepared, that we were ready. And now the names that you have written across this stage and on the walls around this room that you are desperately hoping will take a second look at Christianity and at the relationship with God and you're asking them to come. And now you have proven to be useful because of your skill. Perhaps they would take the next step in their journey towards faith because you lived out a Swiss Army life in front of them. In your notes, see here's three things that skills do for you. Number one, your skills open doors. Your skills open doors. This is common sense. You know this. If you're an employer, you deal with this all the time. When you have a set of skills, all of a sudden people just consider you. They sit up and pay attention. They go, wow, I didn't know you could do that. I didn't know you could speak a second language. I didn't know that you could type that fast. I didn't ha- know that you could listen that well. I didn't know you could close a situation like that. I didn't know you could handle that kind of pressure. I didn't know you had that certification, you had that degree, that you could walk in and deal with that situation with that level of skill. When you can demonstrate skill in a certain arena of life, people sit up and they pay attention. Number two Now that you're in the door, now that you've gotten noticed, now you have something that is so incredible and it's so desirable, especially as you're trying to reach people. Now you have influence. Somebody remembers, oh yeah, that person in the warehouse, that person on the fourth floor, that person in accounting, that teacher down the hall, that neighbor, that family member. Maybe it's as simple as you did a great job last year cooking the turkey for Thanksgiving and now the family, entire family goes, wow, you know what, we ought to consider them again because, and you're going, oh no, now I've got to cook more. I should have failed on the turkey. They want me to do something else. But you know what? You now have influence in a situation where nobody knew, but because you proved yourself skillful, people are ready And now you have a voice. Now you have a seat at the table because of your skill. I'm not even saying it's fair. I'm not even saying that's necessarily right. But if you're an employer, if you're in a job situation, if you're just walking around on the planet, you know that that's true. That's just how the world works. And if you're trying to have an influence for Christ, your skill might be the thing that gives you influence. Number three, skills secure your future. Your skills secure your future. People do side-by-side comparisons. Companies downsizing, or perhaps they're opening up a new branch, and they're considering, who should we send? Well, they're looking at you, and they're looking at somebody else, and they're doing a side-by-side comparison. If you've gone on and gotten your certification, finished your degree, gone for that, shown that you're a great listener, shown that you're a problem solver, shown that you can handle this, shown that you have a unique set of skills, you're probably going to win out. Your future is secure many times because of your skills. There's a great example of this right here in Indianapolis over the past several years. Think of Peyton Manning. Think of Peyton when he was in the draft And Indianapolis was deciding whether or not to draft him. Why was Peyton even in the draft at all? What opened the door for Peyton? Well, his football skills. His high school career was great. His college career was great. So now Peyton's in the draft. Indianapolis Colts are deciding who to pick. They pick Peyton Manning. It opened the door, number one, it opened the door for Peyton to get in. His football skills opened the door. But then it gets very interesting 
Peyton's playing well. He's got this NFL career. It's happening. Now number two, think of Peyton as he's starting to raise money for his Payback Foundation, as he's starting to raise money for the Children's Hospital and for various charities around the city. All of a sudden, Peyton's writing checks. People are, you know, signing up to write checks along with Peyton. Is that because when there are medical needs for for children, people are going, man, I better check with Peyton to see what he thinks. What's the best way to provide, you know, medical needs for kids? Are they checking with Peyton? No. His Payback Foundation, helping disadvantaged youth and all the things that that does. Are they thinking, well, I'll bet Peyton really understands, so I'm going to write a check to that foundation. Is that why? No. The reason that Peyton, number two, had influence and could raise money is because of his football skill. I'm not even saying that's fair. I'm just saying that's how it works. So his football skill opened doors, and his football skill gained him influence And then number three, whenever Peyton Manning decides to retire, when he decides to walk away from playing football, he could go to any NFL team and say, listen, I would love to come work for you. And any NFL team would probably say, hey, we'd love to have you, probably other than the Patriots, maybe even the Patriots, I don't know. But he could say, listen, I'd love to work with your quarterback. And they would say, man, Peyton Manning wants to work with the quarterbacks, we'll make room for you. Or if he said, I'd love to work in your front office and, and draft picks and how you've structured the team, they'd be, that'd be great. Or if Peyton said, hey, I think I want to work in broadcasting, ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox, they would line up to get Peyton on their broadcasting team. If Peyton said, you know what, I think I just want to be a pitch man and help sell products, DirecTV would keep him, the car companies would have him, his future is secure. Now listen, I'm not even saying that that's fair, but think about it. His football skills opened doors, his football skills gained him influence, and his football skills have secured his future. It's just the way that has worked. And now listen, what has happened is he is able to do much more beyond the football field, and you can trace it back to his skills. What about you in your life? What about the usefulness that you could have because of your skills? There's a perfect illustration of this in the Bible. And if you've been following along with the one-year Bible reading recently, in the past few weeks, we've been reading about the life of David. And there's an incredible way that God started him on the palace or on the way, on the path towards the palace and towards becoming king. What was interesting was God had already privately decided that David was going to become king. He'd had a little ceremony with David's family, but no one else knew about this. David knew about it. His brothers knew about it. Samuel the prophet knew about it. His father knew about it. But David had gone back to being a shepherd. The current king, Saul, didn't know anything about this. So that's where we're going to pick up the story. You can follow along in your Bible or you can look on the screen. 1 Samuel chapter 16. And I want you to see how God used David's skill to do some incredible things. 1 Samuel 16, picking up the story in verse 14. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servants said, Behold, a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is, what's this word? Let's say it together. Skillful. Say it one more time with me nice and loud. Here we go. Skillful in playing the lyre or the harp. 
And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite who is, say it together with me, skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me David your son who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David his son to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service. And Saul loved him greatly. It's interesting. And he became his armor bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse and said, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. It's so interesting. Saul knew nothing of David. He had a problem. He needed somebody that was skillful to take care of it. His men already knew of David's reputation as someone that could play a musical instrument with skill. And they said, hey, what about David? Saul said, perfect, bring him. And Saul loved him. David performed very, very well. Saul promoted him not just to play the instrument, but to be his armor bearer, a close position. So now David's in the palace. Still taking care of the sheep, traveling back to the palace. Still taking care of the sheep, traveling back to the palace. It's incredible that his musical skill opened the door to this relationship with the king. So what happens now is this giant, many of you know the story, Goliath, is starting to challenge the Israelites. For 40 days, he's just laying down this challenge back and forth. And David hears about it. And David starts to say, listen, we can take care of this. We can fight this. The Lord will stand with us. And Saul hears that David's saying it. So he sends for David, and he wants to have this conversation. So in chapter 17, verse 32, And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him, because of Goliath. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you're but a youth, and he's been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. When there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him. I struck him. I delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. Now, some Bible scholars have pointed out that something was going on here where perhaps Saul should have been the one to go fight against Goliath. So perhaps he was glad that someone else was volunteering because Saul lacked courage. Something else that was going on here, though, is why was David in a position to have a conversation with Saul? Well, David was Saul's armor bearer. David was living in the palace. David had an audience with the king. David already had an open door. And now, because of his skill, David had gained enough influence to where when he had an opinion and he had a thought, The king at least listened to him. And so when David is saying, listen, king, 
I want to fight against this person. The king has to consider the fact that David had proved himself to be skillful playing this instrument. His men had already said that David was a man of war. And David is saying, I have fought against lions. I have fought against bears. I've defended my father's flock. Let me go fight. And Saul's saying, he's proven himself so far. Go ahead and do it. And that level of influence gave David the platform to plead his case and to go and fight against Goliath. As the story continues, David uses his slingshot, hits Goliath with a stone, takes out a sword, chops off Goliath's head, and is the victor in the battle. David has this conversation with Saul. Saul congratulates him, and then you have to see what happens at the beginning of chapter 18. Verse 1, as soon as David had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan, Saul's son, was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor, even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him. Now this is amazing. So that Saul set him over the men of war and this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Saul took David and put him over the men of the armies. He made him a commander over what could have been hundreds or thousands of men in the armies. He had secured his future in front of the people because the people saw it and thought it was good. He made him a leader. He established himself, or he established David as someone to follow in the nation. Here's what's interesting. God had already said that David was going to be king. And God could have done it any way that he wanted to. God could have snapped his fingers and Saul would have been out and David would have been in. But that's not how God decided to do it. Instead, God chose a skill that David had. And God used that skill to start David down the path towards the palace. He used it to open a door and get him invited into the palace. He used it to gain influence with the king, which allowed him to fight against Goliath. And then he used it to allow Saul to elevate him in the eyes of the people and secure his future as a leader to follow. And now, years down the road, those people would continue to follow him as David was made king. And it all can be traced back to a skill that David had and God used to make him useful in the lives of many, many people. David has his share of failures. We've been reading about him if you've been following along. But David went on to be the king of Israel. Several psalms are recorded in the Bible that you and I are still reading today. If you're reading the one-year Bible, you're reading part of those psalms every day. And still drawing strength and encouragement from the words that God inspired David to write. 
his youthfulness has outlived him for thousands of years. David is listed in the book of Matthew chapter 1 as an ancestor of Jesus Christ. It's written of David in the Bible that he was a man after God's own heart. David did some incredible things. God had great things for David to do, and it started with a skill. God has great things for you to do. In your circle of influence, in your place of work, in your family, with your friends, in your neighborhood, could it be that he wants to use a simple skill that you have, that you don't even know why you have it? You don't know why you learned that in middle school or as a young adult or why you're learning that skill right now, but God wants to use it to do some incredible things in your life if you will let him. God wants to do King David types of works in your life and in the lives of people around you. He wants to reach these names on the stage and on the walls through you using skills that you have. If you would let him. I think back through my own life and the skills that my parents developed in me and, and, and one of them was you know, playing the piano, they were determined that I was going to become a piano player, and it's just, that meant practice after school, and it got to the point where here I am, a middle school or high school, practicing for an hour a day after school. Who wants to do that? My friends are getting off the bus or coming home after school, and they're going out and playing sports, and I'm going next door to the church, practicing the piano. What a dork, you know what I'm saying? And everybody's like, can you play? Can you go play baseball, play basketball? I'm like, no, I can't after I practice my piano. And it, and then I would sneak out the back door of the church to go play sports, and those, of course, would be the day that my mom would come to check to see if I was practicing, and that didn't go well. But you know what's crazy? Is having those skills and those turning into more musical skills or whatever, that has paid off for me. It's allowed jobs and opportunities and, and opened other doors for me, and I'm still able to use those skills today. And many of you can relate with similar stories of your own. But there are many of us here today that are not using the skills that we have? Could it be that you are limiting the greatness that God has for you in your life? That God has King David type of things he wants to do, and he wants to use those skills. I have two action steps for you in your notes. You're going to have to decide how to apply these, or if you're going to take these action steps. Action step number one, will you develop the skills that you naturally have? Some of you are mechanically inclined. Not only can you take things apart like any of us can, but you can actually put them back together. You're very good at mechanical things. I told the 915 service, I'm not mechanically inclined at all. In fact, there's a little clip on the back of this wire that holds this mic together. The clip came undone before the 915 service, and I was panicked because I couldn't get the wire to go back in the clip, and the whole thing almost fell apart because I couldn't get out here. I mean, that's how bad it is. I'm in the mirror backwards going, how's this thing clipping? It's terrible. Some of you could have come in and gone, what's wrong with you? Just do this and snake it in through that, and it would have been fine. Some of you are mechanically inclined. You can do so many things. You're not using that skill. You haven't developed it. You haven't gone out and gotten your certification or gone out. You're not even in a job that utilizes those mechanical skills. God could want to use that. Some of you are artistic. Some of you can draw. Some of you are musical. Some of you, you have incredible artistic skills. Some of you can teach. Some of you are great listeners. You're great speakers. Some of you are incredible with numbers. There are so many skills that I can't even list right now, but here's the thing. I don't have to. 
because you know what your skills are and you know whether or not you're utilizing them. I'm not here to get on you. I'm trying to motivate you to what could God do if you would develop the skills that you naturally have. Take the class, get the certification, finish your degree, and go for it. There's a promotion at work. And everybody around you say, man, you should go for that. You should do it. And you're going, well, I don't know. Why are you holding back? What if King David, well, let's just call him David. He wasn't king yet. What if David hadn't been good at the harp? What if that door, God could have done it any way he wanted, but what if he hadn't been prepared and skillful in that area of music? Develop the skills that you naturally have. Then number two, will you learn a new skill that will make you useful? There could be something going on at work where your company's paying X amount of dollars and you're just going, you know what, I could learn how to do that. I could save my department that money. Something at home where you're just going, you know what, my wife does all of this. If I could just learn that, that would take the load off of her. There's something in your neighborhood and you're going, you know what, if I could learn how to do that, that would make me a better neighbor or a better family member. I could just be this much more useful if I would learn that new skill. You felt challenged about it. Somebody has mentioned something to you. What about this? You've heard of marriages that are struggling and you sit and talk with people and your, your knee jerk is, oh yeah, you should call the church. I mean, if you're having trouble in your marriage, maybe they can get you some counseling. What if you just said, you know what? I'm going to go get trained as a counselor so I could sit down and help people with their marriage. Just as an example, what's a new skill that you could learn that would make you more useful? We're just trying to challenge. We're just trying to motivate you to say, listen, how could you live a Swiss Army life that would make you more useful, not only in your life, but in the lives of those around you. I want to talk for just a second, and I really would ask you to just stay put and stay focused with me for a moment. There are some of you that are here today, and somebody worked very hard or prayed very hard or begged you to come. And you wouldn't call yourself a church person. Maybe you've been coming for a few weeks. Maybe this is your first, first time here. And you're hearing the skills part and you're going, man, I can use that and that's helpful to me. And I, I'm really with you, Steve, but you, you pulled out the Bible and you started talking about David and I'm not sure about that. And that's okay. That's all right. I would ask you to keep coming. It's all right. If you're not sure about that, it's okay. But I want to point out something to you. Because these services are designed, especially this part of the service right here, for you. And I don't want to ignore this, and I wouldn't want you to leave without considering this. That God wants to be in a relationship with you. And something that all of us in this room have had to face is that a relationship with God is impossible because of our sin. And it's not a sin that we committed this morning or yesterday or last week. It's, it's just the fact that that's how we were born. And so that relationship between us and God has just been broken. And, and here's the thing. No amount of skill or talent or ability can, can fix that. God knew that the only thing that could fix our broken relationship was for him to send his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to live and then to die on a cross. And when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he paid the price for our sin. And when you and I call out to God and ask for forgiveness and believe that he paid that price, 
that relationship with God can be restored. And I want to give you a chance. Those of you that know that that's the step that you're ready to take. Many in this room have have taken that step already. And those of you that are ready because someone's invited you and someone's prayed for you to be here, I want to give you a chance to take that step today. I'm going to lead you in a prayer here in just a moment. So right now, I'm going to ask everybody just to close your eyes. And and those of you that have prayed this before, will you pray right now for those that are about to? And if you're ready to pray that right now with me, I'm just going to lead you. You can repeat after me. It's not the exact words that matter. It's just the attitude of your heart. Will you pray with me? Dear God, I know that I've made a mess of things. I know that I'm a sinner. God, I know that that sin has broken the relationship between us. But God, I know and I believe that you sent your son, Jesus, to the cross to pay for my sin. And today, I'm asking for forgiveness of my sin. I'm placing my faith in you. Come into my life and save me. I want to follow you with my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you prayed today, you can look this way. If you prayed today to receive Christ, that's how simple it is. That's what the Bible says, that the wages of sin are what we earn with its death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. You just prayed to receive Christ. It's an incredible step. Many in this room have already done that many years ago or maybe in the past few months or weeks. And we want to congratulate you. We want to make a big deal about it. In fact, can we just give those a hand that just prayed that prayer? In a moment, we're going to close. And when we do, when we dismiss, as you're walking out, there's tables at the back. And if you would just stop by there and say, hey, when he led us in that prayer, I prayed to receive Christ. And somebody back there is going to give you a Bible, and here's why. I talked about the one-year Bible reading plan. We have those available so that you can start today to start reading and hearing from God and just reading like stories of David and the Psalms that are written and reading a portion of the New Testament. And it's broken down for you in easy segments. Many of us are reading that with you. So if you would just stop back by there, we would love to help start you on your journey. And if you brought somebody today that that prayed to receive Christ, if you would take them back there, or maybe in the past few weeks, you've prayed to receive Christ, but you haven't yet gotten your Bible. Just feel free to stop back by there and, and pick up your Bible today. For all of us as we close, you know, I had this, this sermon all finished on Thursday and thought I was done, and I was reading through a stack of magazines. Sometimes we get sermon illustrations from there, or just, just trying to breeze through these real quickly. And I saw this profile from a Sports Illustrated from last year on Jack Nicholas, and I'm not a golfer. Some of you love golf. Some of you admire Jack Nicholas. And I saw this, that it said that his company, Nicholas Design, has built 380 golf courses since he's retired in 38 countries. His charity last year raised $2.2 million for health care, for children's health care. He has received the Presidential Medal of Freedom. His face appears on a five-pound note in Scotland. The author said his courses have brought joy and some suffering to countless golfers. And through his vast philanthropic works, he is bettering the lives of children across Florida and Ohio. And then Jack Nicholas had this to say about everything he's accomplished or everything that's happened, you know, since, 
since he stopped golfing. By the way, he has a clothing line that, that brings in $250 million a year. Some of you have Jack Nicholas shirts, so you're making him very wealthy, but that's beside the point. But he had this to say about everything that's happened since playing golf. Jack Nicholas quote, all of this because I could hit a golf ball. Isn't that ridiculous? It's ridiculous and it's wonderful. That's from him. What's he admitting? That he has had all sorts of influence or success. Obviously, at least on this earth, his future is, has been somewhat secured and it can be traced back to a, a skill. I don't want to say a simple skill because it's very complicated. I understand that, but it, it's traced back to a skill. And I'm not even saying that it's fair, but it's traced back to a skill that he had honed and worked on. What sort of influence and usefulness could you have in the names of these people and these people and those people? If you just said, you know what? I'm going to be useful. I'm going to work on my skill. I'm going to figure out what God has gifted me to do and I'm going to develop it. And I'm going to try to make these people's lives better by stepping in confidently and serving and helping in my job, in my neighborhood, in my family. What could God do for you? What kind of King David things could God do with your life and with mine? If you would just make a decision to be skillful. Let's pray. God, thank you for these people that would come, that would boldly invite their friends, and that would take the weekly challenge from your word. God, I pray that you would send us out here courageously, to learn some skills, to develop the skills that you've given us, to look around and see how we could be useful. God, you have great things for us to do. We want to do them. We want to step up. We want to step in. We want to lean in. God, you've rewritten our story. It was, it was a disaster beyond human repair. But you sent your son, and we owe you everything. Give us a great day. Give us a great week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll see you next week. Bring a friend. His grace and mercy is my testimony.